0: to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations.
1: (laughs) We earn our disease, although we may not recognize how it happens. Stress, negative thought patterns, improper breathing, lack of nourishing foods, and poor rest all play a role in your well-being. By having the four pillars as part of your daily life, you can start to take back control of your life. The key to the four pillars is rhythm. That's the beauty of it. If you lack in one area, the other three will hold you up. They all rely on and support each other. Just focusing on positive thoughts won't do much if your breathing is off, you have a poor diet, or you don't get adequate rest. Just as important, you can't sit around resting all the time either. Each pillar plays a unique and vital role. All four pillars are important. One may need more of your attention than the others right now. Pay attention to what you need and take steps toward change. Valeria Tellez interviews Stephanie Bolster-McCannon, the author of Bolster Up! The Ultimate Guide to Becoming a Happy, Healthy Human. Stephanie Bolster-McCannon is also an organizational psychologist and CEO of Bolster Up, a well-being coaching company that supports emotional, mental, and physical mastery. Stephanie works with employees from large worldwide corporations to local private educational institutions, government agencies, and private clients. Meet Stephanie at bolsterup.com. Here's the interview with Stephanie Bolster McCannon.
0: In your own words, who is Stephanie Bolster McCannon?
2: Oh, wow. What a great opening question. (laughs) In my own words, I am a happy, healthy human. or That's what I strive to be. I strive to be that. Do you see
0: a destination when it comes to health? I guess the question that I'm trying to ask is, what is to be healthy Mm. from your perspective? What does it look like? And can we maintain that for the rest of our lives?
2: That's a great question. And I think this is where a lot of people get tripped up because they do think that health is uh, in destination or it's stagnant. Once you achieve a certain level of health, it's going to stay that way. Or if you're on the other end of the spectrum, if you're feeling unhealthy or, or you do, are in what we would call a diseased state, that that's stagnant as well. And the truth is our health is fluid. It fluctuates, which is great news because if you're not feeling your best or in the healthiest state right now, we can do something about it. The other side to that is health is not just the absence of not feeling well or or the absence of disease. Health is this internal enthusiasm for life. And your cells bathe in that. And there are many ways that we get there. But health, to me, is this exuberance, this willingness, this eagerness to participate in life. And many of us don't feel that way.
0: Would you say the same thing when it comes to happiness?
2: Yes, I would. And again, happiness is not a destination. Right, right. yeah. (laughs) it is a way of life. It is a choice that we deliberately make. And sometimes we deliberately make it for a day. Sometimes we have to deliberately make it from moment to moment. Sometimes we have to make it a deliberate intention when we're going into a conversation or after being with certain people that may have uh, allowed, we have allowed ourselves to step outside of our responding and become unhappy. And that's okay. We all have permission to feel everything. I do not expect people to be in a state of of joy or happiness every moment of their lives. I think that that is um, not authentic to to what we're experiencing or supposed to experience. Why we're we're here on this planet? I think it's okay to be in other states of feeling, as long as we have the 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 tools and the techniques to get out of it when we choose to. Again, it's all about that choice. Sometimes I'm going to choose to be sad because the situation is sad. (laughs) And that is part of my overall happiness.
0: I love the tools. And today we'll be talking about them, some of the tools, suggestions that you have to keep that flow in life. Another question I have for you is about the purpose of the human experience. What do you feel that is?
2: I think it's two things. Number 1, I do think it is for us to to experience and to understand what joy feels like and to get as much of that as we can. <laughs> it is to have fun and to connect and to experience, to have experiences. And those experiences help us to define what is joyful. And this is where it gets so fun and interesting because what is, what brings me tremendous joy doesn't have to be, and is usually not what it is for everybody else on the planet. And that's where the deliciousness of life comes in is the experiences that we can share with one another, that we can share with ourselves that, but, it is about experiencing that joy through the different experiences uh, in life. So I want people to get as much experience <laughs> as they can. Say yes to a lot of things. Get outside your comfort zone. You know, I, I love the phrase that living is winning, living winning is winning. When we choose to step into life with that enthusiasm, like I've already mentioned, that's health. The enthusiasm, the willingness to participate in life. And so many of my clients, for various reasons, stop doing that. They stop having fun. They stop experiencing joy. They, they stop going outside their comfort zone. You know, when we're children, we do that all the time. Somebody's playing a certain game or and they invite us in. And we usually readily, with ex- open accepting arms, say, sure, I would love to participate. <laughs>
0: How did you come to these understandings, Stephanie?
2: Through the life experience of suffering. That, and, and that's why I say that happiness isn't this constant state of joy. That's part of the experiences; these other emotions, emotions. I've I've learned to cultivate more happiness most of the time through the experiences of suffering and looking for the good in that. There's always something good, and I don't expect us to to see it immediately. You know, I've had uh, a lot of pain, a lot of trial and error and frustration and hurt in my life. But it only makes my choice to be happy and to be joyful that much richer, that much more experience because I know what the other feels like.
0: And that makes me think about the purpose of suffering and pain Would you say that is to grow, to find what is on the other side? This is always the purpose or do you have a different perspective on suffering and pain?
2: I won't say always because sometimes we are, and I'm going to be very careful with this. I want your listeners to understand what I'm saying. It's not like we throw our hands up in the air and say, I'm going to choose suffering. I'm going to pick suffering for myself right now. But sometimes that is what we're doing. We have the choice to pick our thoughts. We have the choice in what we participate in, only we forget that. And we end up in cycles of suffering that we think are outside ourselves. So the suffering can be prolonged for much longer than the lesson was for it if there was the lesson in it. So I say sometimes, not always. Because we can perpetuate our own suffering when, when the event is long gone. We should have, you know, not should have, but we, we can choose to be outside of the suffering now. And we choose to stay in it.
0: So you see everything is a choice. Suffering or not suffering
2: being our own choice. right? I would say the endurance of it. Um, so I, and it's not, I didn't choose, you know, to be in a car wreck, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I didn't choose for, for certain diseases to come upon us or the, these types of things. So that's why I say, I, I don't want us to get stuck in that, but you know, I have my own disease and I got to choose whether or not I was going to wallow in that suffering or I was going to step outside of it and accept it and still decide to be happy. That's
0: such an, an amazing state to be in, which I call it open, being open, as I mentioned, I think, off record, mm-hmm. being open to life. So that kind of creates space for us to see the options, per se. That has been my experience. The more open I become, the more I see the options that yeah. I have,
2: the yeah. ways the more, to go,
0: the path. Right?
2: Yeah, the more allowing and the more allowing we become of ourselves and others then we're no longer reacting to these outside stimuli, these outside things. We're choosing, I decided that, you know what? I'm going to allow you to talk the way that you want to talk. I'm going to remove myself if you continue to do. what. But we have. That's, that's what I mean by we don't have to continue in the suffering.
0: What a wonderful message for those who are suffering right now and um, have been for a while. Another question, staying with the topic of choice and suffering, I want to bring the topic of spirituality. And I guess the first question is, what is spirituality to you, Stephanie, these days?
2: It is a deliberate stillness and connection to whatever you decide is divine. But it is deliberate and it does require us to be still and i don't it doesn't religion religion for a lot of people brings them to that point religion gives them the tools that they can use to get to that stillness to get to that connection it doesn't always have to be through through a particular type of religion and it's and there isn't one particular type of religion that's going to get you there but that spiritual connection is being still, it is being able to connect to that being that you are that's outside of the physical realm. We all are that. (laughs) every single one of us and we all have the capacity to tap into that and to feel that and that that true spirituality I say you know it when you're there because you're just flooded with love your heart is so open you you there's just so much love that's true joy and and I get I mean I experience that with my eyes open But if I haven't taken the time to center myself and to feel that and to allow my being to be filled with that, then I don't think we recognize it with our eyes open as we're going throughout the day. So our spirituality allows us to continue on and and be open, as you say, be open to the spiritual connections when we're not being still through our moving, waking hours. But it all starts with that that stopping and that stillness and going inward and appreciating the being that you are and the connection and all the love that is available to you right now, at any moment.
0: And would you say that meditation is one of these practices that could lead?
2: Yes. And it does, again, doesn't have to be a specific type of meditation. I teach many (laughs) and sometimes that's how people have to get there. But any time that you are still and you make the deliberate intention to connect inward, then you know some people some people get so hung up on meditation that they're going to do it wrong
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's you true. know
2: and so they're in their head about oh my gosh i'm not meditating right i'm not doing that you know sometimes i'm sitting in gridlock traffic and i choose to connect i choose to connect to my spirituality in that very moment so it doesn't have to be a prolonged session of meditation but i highly highly it is one of my it, it's part of my bolster up method is meditation You know, there's so many studies, so much science behind it. You know, spirituality and and different practices have been saying this for millennia. (laughs) So they're not wrong. So it's a fast way, I would say a very fast way to to be connected to that abundant love and feeling of joy and connectedness and and just allowing yourself to be who and wherever you are in this very moment.
0: What comes to me when you speak of meditation, which is uh, staying still, actually, I think about being peaceful, like inner peace, calm, regardless of what it's happening in, in the moment. I mean, that resonates so true about that. Mm-hmm. Just being able to be quiet, to be peaceful within. Because it's so much easier then to deal with the outside world when it's chaotic.
2: And Valeria, I will say one more thing about that. I feel the most connected to my spiritual highest self when I'm in nature, particularly when I'm in nature alone. And, you know, I love to sit and be still in the woods. It's just a faster way (laughs) to connect. There's so much great energy There's so much I could say about that.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, Tell me about it. Actually, one of my guests coming up, she talks about that. That's her, actually, her work. It's all about the power of being in nature. Very powerful. Yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned. Something that I found, I think, on your book, had to be in your book, Less Stress for More Living. I think that was the title. And then you mentioned, you quoted William James. You say, be not afraid of life. Believe that life is worth living. And your belief will help create the fact. When I think about stress, I think about not letting stress or whatever it is that is trying to get me out of balance, to dwell within me for a long time. Mm-hmm. So the question is: Do you also believe in the idea of healthy
2: stress? Yeah. Well, healthy stress is what we call eustress. It's that kick in the pants that gets us off the couch.
0: Right. Oh, that's simple, <laughs> right?
2: Yeah. We we need a little bit of that. It's also sometimes uh, stressful. But let's first define stress uh, because most people we're, there's not an agreed upon definition of stress, but the one that I like and I cling to is stress is a perceived lack of resources to meet demands. So you can think of this when you're going to the gym and you're working out and you're stressing your muscles and you can't lift it one more time. No more resources. You just stressed out your muscle which is what you wanted to do, right? If you're if trying to, to work out and those types of things. So if we think about it as a perceived lack of resources to meet demands, it can be very stressful for someone to, uh, to be going to the printer to print something that's really important to them, and there's no more paper. That can create a stressful event to them. Or they can in that moment choose, hey, I'm out of this resource Here's where the growth mindset comes in. Where can I get more? So if we take that perception, and that's the key to it, and that's what causes you know the stress that we don't want. But there is a good type of stress, and again, called use stress and. It's going on vacation is something that a lot of us want, but it can be stressful.
0: (laughs) That's true. It's quite the opposite. Going (laughs) on
2: a roller coaster ride. Think about standing in line right before you, you go on a roller coaster ride or you do something for the first time or you go swimming. Maybe you're just learning a new skill and you feel that, that excitement that we often call stress. And then when we're in the experience It's we get on the other side of it, and it was exhilarating. That's you, stress. And we like that.
0: (laughs) True. So, that is necessary in a way. I mean, it's part of life, right, Stephanie? So, stress is necessary, right, for the experience of life.
2: Yeah. The, The stress that we're usually talking about is the stuff that we don't want. And again, there's so much, and this is why I love what I do. I love teaching people, you know, how to re engage with their daily life, because that those tiny little changes is what makes a huge difference. And then it's perception. We go back to that perception. This is why two people can, can be in the exact same situation or scenario and have a completely different experience. And if we go back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, life is about our experiences. I want you to have lots of them and then compare them. You know, and make a choice based on that. There's so much with the stress that we take on that we don't have to. Would you say knowledge, wisdom, practice, awareness?
0: What's the key opener of of that door of staying in that center in a way or actually knowing how to go back to balance?
2: What would you say that is? Well, I liked all of your answers and I would say yes. (laughs) To all of them. (laughs) But I would say I would you have to have some knowledge of and this goes back to experience. You have to have some knowledge of life and some experience of life to know that there's a different way. And when we're we're outside of a way that we like, then we experience stress. So you have to have some experience of life. And so you do have to have knowledge. The second thing is you have to have awareness. You have to at least be aware of how you're responding or reacting. And I do make the distinction between reacting and responding. And the the cyclical thing about it is our bodies remember stressful events, and there's a cascade of chemicals that get released. We can get addicted, our physical bodies can get addicted to these chemicals. So, and our and different parts of our our brain shrink. And another part of our brain grows um, when we're under stress. And so if we're constantly in this cycle or this chemical bath of stress, then that's what life becomes for us. And it's a little bit more difficult than to be aware when we're in that biological cycle of stress. And so that's why I say knowledge, awareness, and then you're going to have to have some tools once you recognize this to reverse, to get yourself out of that stressful event, because it is biological. It's
0: true. It's built in. We can't really run from it, escape from it. That's interesting you say that about addiction or getting obsessed almost with our own chemical reactions. I remember interviewing psychologists from Canada, I forgot his name now. He wrote a book about that, that he finally concluded that he had been addicted to anger.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It was so easy for him to get angry yes. about everything, pretty much. And then he found out, you know, it's uh, I'm addicted to it. That this day he has not found a clear solution for that addiction. But how interesting to see that we can get addicted to our own feelings and um, the chemistry, the hormones that we make. They become a habit, habitual, and then oh amazing, right, Stephanie. Wow.
2: Yes, yes. But I will I will say that there is a way out. There's absolutely a way out. And science, I love neuroscience. I use neuroscience, psychology, and sociology in my programs and my teachings and with my clients. And I I love the concreteness of science.
0: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) right, right.
2: And we have, you know, our brains are have this neuroplasticity. They can change. Meditation will grow your gray matter. When I mean, that's been, that's been proven over and over again, and that's exciting. Meditation will also shrink the stress centers of your brain. And so it changes your reaction. And now you're able to respond because you're out of that chemical biological loop. You've, you've stepped outside of that addiction and you're laying new patterns. It's all about structure and patterns. That's, that's every experience that we, that we have, every physical thing that's on this earth, from a rock to a tree to the couch you're sitting on to the electrons, you know, it's structure and, and, and energy. And we can change the structure by being deliberate, by being aware, by making conscious choices and many, many other things. Um, there's also fast ways to do that you know, we can talk about that another time, but it is one of the, the processes that, that I teach in, in transforming the brain and getting different synapses to connect and allow change to take place so that you do respond. There's so much with stress, but we can. And that's, that's to me, is the joy, is the hope. is <laughs> if you are stuck in this pattern, you can change it. I'm a recovering type A person.
0: That's interesting what you say. Recovering, (laughs) yes.
2: Uh, Recovering, recovering, because sometimes (laughs) I can get pulled back into it and I'm like, nope, 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 nope. I'm going to let that go. That's not, it's not worth it, you know. So it is a practice. Life is a practice and it is a playground, but I'm not immune to it. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, no one is, right, Stephanie? I don't think so. I agree. Going back to the topic of meditation, what a beautiful... And scientifically proven method to not just create, as you said, more neuron connections to grow the brain so many ways. But I see when I meditate after it, I feel that there is a, a pause before responding to anything, reacting or responding. It's almost as if the, the thought processes or patterns, they have slowed down. And then I'm able to pause before I respond to anything.
2: Absolutely, isn't that interesting? Yeah, it is, and that is what there's a there's a neuroscientist from Harvard. Her name is Susan Lazar L A Z A R. I encourage your listeners to look her up or read my book (laughs) because I talk about her. And she was not into mindfulness or meditation before she got injured, and she was going to run a marathon. She got injured anyway in her recovery from her injury it was suggested that she do some yoga and blah 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 blah. And so she started, you know, this through the yoga, started meditating, and she realized that after a period of time, after several weeks, her life didn't change. There was nothing she didn't get a new husband or a new a new faculty. You know, her life didn't change, but she changed. She the people that used to upset her or her reactions to things that felt outside her control, she was like, eh, you know, no big deal. So she decided to do some studies with this. And it's fascinating, the research. She took people that had never meditated before and scanned their brains. And this is where we get a lot of the research. She's not the only one, but I find her studies to be very concrete. And this is where after eight weeks, eight weeks of meditation and not doing it perfectly either, by the way. So I'm going to get your listeners off the hook about that. Don't have to be perfect about it. That everybody reported this, like you're saying, I, I, I don't understand it, but my kids aren't making me angry anymore. <laughs> I'm calmer. I have more peace. I have that split second of awareness that makes me or allows me to choose my words it allows me to choose how I want to respond to somebody. And that's the beauty of, I think, what medita- there's so many benefits, but that is one of the, the most beneficial because it allows us to experience more happiness and more joy instantly.
0: Instantly. I love to hear that because it is true. It is so true. It has been my experience too. So you mentioned your book. The title is Bolster Up, The Ultimate Guide to Becoming a Happy, Healthy Human. For a moment, Stephanie, talk to me about the main intention and inspiration of writing your book.
2: Sure. Um, well, I, I was you know my clients <laughs> <laughs> yes that was the so i'll back up a little bit i was diagnosed with um an autoimmune disorder in my very late 20s right before i had my third child and it was devastating i was the healthiest person i knew i ate right i was tiny i exercised every day i was running my own clothing company and i i couldn't believe what the doctors were telling me that I had three choices. I could either take a large grocery bag, literally a brown paper bag of medications every day. I could have body parts removed, that may or may not help, or I could die an early death. I had two children, and as I said, right after my diagnosis, I found out I was pregnant. So, okay, drugs were out, because they couldn't guarantee that they, there was no reaction um, or interaction with the, with the unborn child. And I didn't want to have my body parts removed.
0: Right? <laughs> <My> gosh, doesn't <laughs> <is> sound good.
2: <laughs> and so, a lot of the healthy um, things that <laughs> I I was doing, some of them were were not particip were not aiding my health and happiness. They were actually taking away from it. And one of those was the extreme amount of exercise I was in. I was doing because a lot of exercises raises your cortisol levels. And my cortisol, my stress hormones were already really high. I was already living a very stressful life. (laughs) And I thought that I was combating that with my exercise, but I was only adding to it. And so based on, on me not wanting to die, not wanting to leave my children motherless, I started searching for other ways that I could heal. And I kept stumbling upon all these practical things that we could be doing every day. And that's what the four pillars are. It was my thinking. It was the deliberate thoughts I was choosing. It was how I was looking at things or choosing to respond to people. And I was still people. I was a happy person, and high energy and all these things. But I had a lot of um, emotional distress in my life and in my marriage a lot. And so that is so key, so key. Our emotions, how we're feeling is significant to every area of your life. And we have to understand how our emotions are tied to our health or disease, whichever way you want to look at it. So I got a handle on that. (laughs) Oh,
0: good. You sound like it (laughs) very much.
2: uh, It took a little while, but I'm like, Oh. Okay. So I was open. I was open. Like you said, I was open to it. Like, oh, okay. So I can change my thinking. I can choose to think this way, or I can get out of this cycle of, of the emotion that I'm participating in. And one of the ways is very practical. It's breathing very fast, fast, fast way. I started breathing before I started meditating. And isn't that how we start (laughs) taking some deep breaths? There's a reason to that. So, yeah, it goes. And so the the other piece is the nourishment and rest. And I don't say nourishment just by food because I uh, I ate pretty healthily. But there were some things that were considered healthy by others that my body couldn't tolerate at the moment. So um, there's not one size fits all for everybody. There's not one right way. But these are tools that if we put into practice in our daily lives in very small ways makes a tremendous difference to how our bodies get to feel, get to play, how our cells respond. And we can sit there with nobody around us and be absolutely miserable and flood our systems with dangerous chemicals just by our thinking and the same is reverse is true we can sit there all by ourselves or with other people and fill our bodies with joy and happiness and exuberance for life that is absolutely a choice that we all possess and we all have it takes some time and um but if we're willing to be open to that we we can do that and really create magnificent, joyful, satisfying lives for ourselves.
0: You speak from experience, from this deep knowledge of the truth behind all these topics. And I can hear that. So thank you, Stephanie, for being not just the messenger, but the message. You're both. Because it's important. As you said earlier, we don't come to a destination of being perfect and doing all these things perfectly, living life perfectly. That doesn't exist, but we can be open enough to enjoy what life has to offer. I mean, to enjoy the beautiful things that are here now that can be yes. seen.
2: Yes. And I'm actually thankful for the, see, that, that's that life experience again. And because I am the human being that I was created to be, I took that life experience and I'm doing other things with it. And there's so much joy I get now, but I would never have raised my hand and say, pick me, pick me. I
0: want to,
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I want to go through this. Yes. And so that's yeah. why you know I say it is a choice how long we want to stay in that suffering. Because I could I could still be in it if I wanted to be, or, or dead, actually. You're open
0: to change the situation and then you learned all these lessons and and gained so much wisdom and then you pass, chose to pass on to others. I kind of reframe a little bit to um, talk about choice because I see a lot of suffering and pain in little children. Well, we can see that. And then I wonder, how is it possible? Um, I mean, I have to bring spirituality back in a way. Mm-hmm. Do you believe... Or does it make sense to you, the idea of karma?
2: Sometimes, sometimes, because I do look around my world too. And again, uh, this is why I'm, I'm careful and I want your listeners to understand that we're not raising our hands, picking our, our pain and our suffering, but there's choice in that. And sometimes it is the beauty that we get to see from the courage that, say, a five-year-old has that has cancer. And we get to see if we're open to seeing that. We get to see the love and the joy that they're experiencing, even though they have this disease or they have this cancer. You know, but we wouldn't get to experience the humanity, this is why I say happy, healthy human, we wouldn't get to experience the the humanity of what that suffering had to offer, which there's love in that. But again, none of us can choose that. Just like I couldn't choose and see the love that was in my own suffering or the suffering of others. But one of the things I have come to know without a doubt Is that anytime there is suffering in the world and we can look around us at any moment and see it, we see the richness. And I I get goosebumps thinking about this because this is really love. We get to see humanity at its best through suffering. And again, I'm not going to be that person. I wasn't created for that. I have a really hard time making people suffer. (laughs) I I had a hard time, you know, following through on quote punishment or, you know, whatever with my children, you know, so I'm I'm not that person. But if we we can for the moment, if we can, can embrace the humanity, the goodness, because I do believe there is more goodness than bad. And I would never elect or or say that suffering is good, but it's teachable. And I have seen so much love and appreciation for life come through others' suffering. The witnessing of other suffering and the witnessing of other people coming to their aid or showing them how to get outside the suffering or allowing them to succumb to the suffering, and and the the energy that then that another person is now ignited to participate in life in a way that they wouldn't have participated before if there weren't that suffering. They saw something that ignited a flame in them and said, no more, I can't stand this, this won't happen, and now they're off to do something about it, but that never would have happened, that that figure for life would have never happened had not that person participated in the suffering. And so it's appreciation. I, I, again, I don't want people to misunderstand. I am not a proponent of suffering. <laughs> I do not enjoy it. I do not, I do not wish to see it. But when I can get outside of it for a moment, it is in, in, in some of the most extreme suffering, I have seen the most tremendous love. It makes me almost cry, you know, to see people respond that their best their absolute best comes out of them because of somebody else's suffering. Yeah, I won't say people are raising their hand electing it, but there is so much that we can take the good of life, the humanity of life because of suffering if we are open to it.
0: We're almost at the end. Before I ask you my final questions, I want to mention the piece that was published on Newsweek. It's titled, I Am a Wellness Psychologist. These are my five secrets to happiness. So I had access before the interview to the piece, and it's really made a lot of sense to me, all of them. I was looking for the spiritual piece, but that is, of course, what is not spiritual. Everything is. So when it comes to that, would you like to mention them, Stephanie, now, before we end the conversation today, or we leave this to the uh, curiosity for the listeners?
2: I'll let the, I'll let the curiosity of the (laughs) listeners, uh, look that up. It is, they, again, it goes back to a little bit of knowledge and tools and putting that into practice when you're aware that you need to, and there's so much that we can do to experience them. And that, again, that was, you know, top five at the moment, but there's so many things I would say to your listeners, as we close Valeria and and I know y'all have all heard this before, find what ignites you and excites you and do more of that. Find what makes you feel alive. Living is winning. Living is winning. Don't sit on the sidelines. Participate. Do those things that feel fun to you. And I don't care what they are. Uh, It doesn't matter. That's the beauty of it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but, you know, there is some science behind some of those things that i that I mentioned. But uh, I wish your listeners very well and and go, do it. be it. Be happy. be healthy. be human
0: in your book, I want to mention something that i I have here. the quote you say, "I don't give because I am happy. I am happy because I give." Mm -hmm. That caught my attention immediately. And there's one piece that made me very curious. So I would love for you to disclose this to the audience today, if possible, was under nourishment. You mentioned uh, when to avoid vegetables.
2: Yeah. So again, back to uh, my autoimmune disorder, and there's no one size fits all. Even different times of our life call for different nourishment uh, different, uh, sometimes we need more protein. Sometimes we, we need more vegetables and we know this as women, as we're going through our cycle or we're having a baby, you know, we're, we're fluid. Life is fluid. So nourishment is also fluid. And when I was really sick, my body could not disseminate raw vegetables. And there were actually certain foods that were considered and deemed healthy by many that my body could not tolerate at that moment. It was too sick. And so I had to get nourishment in a different way. And so I just caution people to, to listen to their body. And if your body is not responding to a certain food source, even though it's considered healthy, you know, listen to your body. It's very wise. <laughs> it's, it's very wise. Um, now I eat all sorts of vegetables and all sorts of things that I couldn't eat in that dis-ease state. My body was at too much uneasiness to take the vegetables and break them down in a way that wasn't going to harm me at the moment.
0: Right. How fantastic. Thank you for that beautiful suggestion too. Uh, When you say that we are all unique and um, listening to the body is very important and it also varies from time to time, I hear a lot of wisdom that too. Thank you so much, Stephanie, again. You're welcome. Before we say goodbye and I ask you one final question, I'll ask you a technical one and then ask another question. But before that, would you like to add anything else or read a passage in your book?
2: Um, sure. I'll read a passage. I'm just going to, it's right here. I'm going to open it up and whatever I open it up to, I'm going to read.
0: <laughs> that sounds really intuitive to me.
2: <laughs> okay. So I'm on page 50. I'll start at the first paragraph. Another mindfulness pioneer and researcher, the mother of mindfulness, Ellen Langer has provided a, re- a rich research approach to how we make decisions. The conclusion is we all just need to be deliberate with our thinking and get out of autopilot. Choice is king and controls the magic of the kingdom. When we think we are making deliberate choices, we feel in control, whether we are or not, or whether the outcome changes or not.
0: That is intentional thinking, right? Mm -hmm. It's definitely the same, translating into that. That's a beautiful message too. So I'll have the link to the Amazon page for your book on your podcast profile. Thank you. And let's see my ending question before the technical one is, how do you define true power today at this
2: moment? I define true power as being unapologetically you. No apologies for how you were made or what you look like or what you're interested in or what ignites you or excites you <laughs> or brings you joy. We, we are such unique, interesting, immensely wonderful, powerful beings. And we truly live in our power when we're unapologetic about it. And, and that exudes a certain happiness with it. Because it's not about not caring or about being blunt or obtuse. It's about the joy that emanates from you because you're unapologetic about who you are and about what you look like or or sound like or all these other things that we become judgmental with ourselves and others are. Um, and that that's such a powerful way of living.
0: Before we say goodbye today, Stephanie, I want to thank you again for your presence in our reality, in this beautiful intention to help others to heal, to evolve, to become more peaceful and healthy. Thank you for that beautiful intention that can be seen, can be heard, felt. I love your enthusiasm for life, too. I had goosebumps many times (laughs) throughout the conversation. It's really beautiful. So technical question, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services and future projects?
2: Um, bolsterup.com. I make it really easy. Bolster is my last name. I used to not like it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I've always been a, you know, had a small waist and a big round bottom. And so people would call me bolster up. And so I could not wait to change my name. And then as I, I've gotten older and gone through life and I realized what bolster, what the, the definition of bolster is, I'm like, that is me. That is who I was created to be. So I took my name back. And i uh, been running with it ever since. So bolsterup.com is where they can find more about me and, and my services and free stuff and sign up for stuff. And, yeah, I just uh, I love seeing people grow and falling in love with life again. Mm.
0: <laughs> Thank you again, Stephanie. I'll have those links on your podcast profile. Thank you again. And we'll talk soon. Bye for Thank now. You, Thank you,
2: Valeria. Thank you. Thank
1: you for listening. To learn more about Stephanie Bolster-McCannon and her work, please visit bolsterup.com.
0: To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.